You're listening to The People's Podcast. I was honest. Was I brutally honest? Yes. But I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another. This is JSC Radio. Look at Kobe. Give me the ball. Feeling it. Firing. Oh, got him all. This is like old times now. Three throws to tie the game. And then the Lakers gave a foul. Kobe came out. Here he is for three. Nice. That was a dagger. That's the old Kobe. Couldn't oh. get the roll on the three, but he's going to have another shot at it. <laughs> to the basket, Kobe. They wanted a dunk, though. Yeah, they're happy with the hoop. Out of his 1,346 games, so just under a third. Hits the three. 35. Come on, now you got to get a score here. Huertas is seeking Kobe for three. Yes. See, he said, hey, Yubi, I heard the three for 16. Kobe's got the Lakers' last check. Bryant for three. Will Kobe give them one last gamer? Bryant on the move with the jumper. He oh, my! 58 points! And the Lakers lead! You're listening to the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Hey now, and a happy new year. This wasn't exactly the uh, the way I planned on coming into 2020 because, well, January has been an unbelievable month. This is a special edition of J. Scott Confidential, JSE Radio. And it will be kind of a, a stream of consciousness on Kobe Bryant. Now, obviously, it happened last Sunday and... This is not episode 107. I will cover that base. In fact, let me get this out of the way now. This is not episode 107. Episode 107 is in production, as is episode 108. It's going to be a slightly different sound to JSC Radio as we go into 2020. So even though this is actually technically the first time I've cracked open a mic in 2020, this is not the 2020 editions of JSC Radio. But I felt I needed to do this. Needed a couple days to process this because I think we're all kind of in an odd space. Because this month of January has been uh it's been something. There's been every conceivable thing you could think of, and we're just 31 days in to 2020. But last Sunday afternoon was I would say in terms of pop culture. It was a landmark day for all the wrong reasons. This is one of the biggest pop culture, sports, celebrity stories. Probably, I'm trying to think, because this is bigger than Prince. Maybe maybe John Lennon, I guess. John Lennon was murdered. This was a horrible accident. But kind of give you all a heads up of where I was on Sunday. I was at the day job. Well, weekend day job. 
And it was during the two o'clock hour. I was getting prepared for the three o'clock hour because to give you guys an idea of how it works when I'm on air here in Philadelphia, I'm on during the odd number hour. So one, three and five p.m. on the weekends is when you'll hear me along with 1130 a.m. But that's for neither here nor there. But one, three and five. I'm usually on, meaning at noon, two and four, I'm usually getting the work together for that hour's episode. So what's happening on Sunday is that I'm at my desk. I've got a fair amount, if not all the three o'clock ready to go. I thought for a hot second I'd be able to step out of the office and sneak out and grab some food get a moment just to kind of breathe in between and then get ready for the three o'clock hour. And I have my headphones on and I remember I'm listening to a cut of a story that had come in that we were going to run in the three o'clock hour. And our lead producer looks over the desk and I have on headphones. So I'm, and I'm listening to this. So I can't fully make out what he say. He says to me, Oh shit. Kobe Bryant's dead. And I, and I thought I didn't hear him correctly. And I snatch off my headphones. I look over and I say, the, the, what are you talking about? Dude, as he tells me, dude, they're saying Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. And I said, who? TMZ. For those of us who work in this business, TMZ is not exactly the most reputable news source for a multitude of reasons. However, if there's one thing that TMZ gets right, it's celebrity deaths. For a site that is notorious for rumor mongering and questionable practices and running with a lot of BS that they get, they are incredibly accurate on celebrity deaths. Like the Associated Press wishes they were this accurate. So when we hear it's TMZ, we're thinking, oh, God. And if they're going with this, we have to get, we got to get it verified. We just cannot be out here just saying this because it's not like it was in 2016 when I had to announce Prince's death. Prince had a musical connection to the rest of the world, but I had to call out to Minneapolis to find out what was going on. Kobe Bryant is a Philly native. So this is not just a national story. It's also become one of the biggest local stories in forever. So we start chasing down everybody we knew in Los Angeles to find out what the hell's going on. And sure enough, about two, I'd say it was about 250, 250, 252, 253, somewhere in that area. We started getting wind from the contacts in L.A. that this was legit. Now, in my radio career, I've had an uncanny ability to be around when a major figure dies, whether it's a local figure or a national figure. I've just had this uncanny ability to be on the air when it happens. And it's not something that I am looking forward to doing. Prince was different in 2016. It was just a, wow, holy shit, this doesn't even seem right, but damn. 
Then there was 2006. I'm a year and a half into radio, and Kyle Powell, a guy I worked with, he was better known as KP, at 96.5 in Lansing, he dies. And I was in the studio filling in for him because he had been out because he'd had surgery, and I was covering his show until he came back. And it was expected that he was going to be back within a couple of weeks after that point. But then he's not. And I had to power through that. And it was horrifying. It was heartbreaking. I was 26 years old. I remember walking out to my car and just crying. Prince, it was more like just, wow, dude, what the hell? This is wow. Kobe was kind of a combination of both. The anchor who was on air at the time had to make the flash announcement about Kobe at the tail end of the two o'clock hour. It was my job to basically lead with it and make it official. And boy, was that shit tough because it didn't seem real. And to understand what it's like in a newsroom at this point where you're scrambling around and you want to make sure you get it right. But once you get it right, you've got to go to the air and you have to put some you have to put some sort of perspective onto it. And thinking about what I, what's going through my head, because now I got to walk into the studio and I have to get my bearings because I was a huge fan of Kobe Bryant, the player. I had grown to respect Kobe Bryant, the man. Yes, we'll get to that. I had grown to respect Kobe Bryant, the man. And it was like I had to try to get my feet underneath me in about a three-minute stretch because now everything else we're doing, all the other things we're talking about on air, the impeachment, all the other stories, the Grammys, all that shit is out the window, dog. And now... It's Kobe, a guy who was born in Philadelphia, made his name in Philadelphia. Before he was ever in L.A., he belonged to the city of Philly. And I had to figure out how I was going to say this, somehow keep my composure. And it was, I I felt a wave of anxiety because people get this notion that news reporters, these dum-dums get this idea that news reporters were just excited to talk about death and destruction and we don't have any feelings. We can't wait to stick a, you want to stick a camera and a microphone in somebody's face just after somebody dies and you don't care. Well, first off, shut the f*** up because that's something that either people who've never been journalists or failed journalists love to run back to. It's far from the case. Having to announce he died was tough because It was like, A, the enormity of the moment of just saying Kobe Bryant has died in a plane crash or helicopter crash, excuse me. But you have to understand at this point in time, we're still getting more information in because initially it was Kobe Bryant and five other people. And then we find out throughout the hour that one of those initially thought to be five people was his 13-year-old daughter. I was able to make it through talking about Kobe. The anxiety, it turned into like this rush where it's like, all right, we pound through this. We get through this. 
to, I get choked up when I hear that the 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, is dead. That's what got me. Because it was already a big enough tragedy. Then you find out that his daughter is gone. And then you find out that there's there's actually seven other people in that helicopter, not five others. And another whole family is gone. And another family loses a, loses a wife and you lose coat. It's just, it was devastating. And it's a lot to take in if you're somebody who's having to cover this story because your main fear is, I don't want to f- this up. I don't want to be the guy who got it wrong. I don't want to be like the guy from ABC who got it wrong. I don't want to be that jag off on social media talking about Rick Fox was on the helicopter. I want to make sure what I'm saying is right. And that's why I am totally indebted to my to the editors, to 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 my co-anchor who was also in there because they knew what they were doing and I wouldn't have been able to navigate my way through that without them. So from 3 to 6 p.m., and I was on air two out of those three hours, it was all just trying to make sense of all this while relaying the information. You have to turn off the emotion a little bit and focus solely on getting the story right because it's developing. Plus, now we've got other reporters coming in. We've got dayside people on the TV end who you don't see on Sundays running into the studio because they got business to handle on the TV side. That newsroom was going nuts. And I had to keep my composure on air, which I managed to do, albeit tears were in my eyes talking about Gianna Bryant and getting through it. It wasn't until I walked out of the studio at 6.01 where people started saying, you did a hell of a job. You're a rock star in there. You did a great job. You handled that so well. And I come out of there and I just feel like I have been running on a treadmill for two hours. And it didn't fully settle in until me and my editor looked at each other. And it's just we're like, holy shit, Kobe Bryant's dead, man. What the? Are you serious? And I get in the car and it kind of hits me. Really, it hit me when I stepped outside the building and started to walk to my car. You felt it. It hits you. And my mother called me. My mother is a huge Laker fan. Huge. Like, she was a fan of the L.A. Lakers going back to the days of Wilt Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor and Jerry West in the 1960s. She is a huge Laker fan. And her two all-time favorite Lakers, Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant. My mom called me while I was on the air. We had gone to commercial during the three o'clock hour, which she calls me on air. I'm able to just spin around and check the voicemail and I could hear it in her voice that she's devastated, devastated. And that choked me up because you never like to hear your mother in tears, devastated. A pallor held, just kind of held over the country, but specifically in two places on Sunday, Los Angeles and Philadelphia. Now, Kobe wasn't exactly the most beloved guy around here for a long time, especially with the L.A. thing. But 
much as I've noticed in the five years I've lived in Philadelphia, this city loves its own. They embrace their own. I thought about the night when Kobe played his first game in Philadelphia. It was his first game after he announced he was retiring. And I was able to cover that game for NPR. It was a reception befitting a city that prides itself on brotherly love. The 76ers produced a video tribute of Bryant's career highlights, and Sixers icon Julius Irving presented him with his framed high school jersey. ESPN analyst and former Philadelphia sports writer Stephen A. Smith says Bryant helped bridge the gap between eras in the NBA. He continued the Jordan era. He extended it because he was so much like Jordan. But where he took it to another stratosphere is when you had the new blood coming in wanting to do things differently. He showed that the old way still worked best. Bryant scored 20 points, but the Lakers fell to the 76ers 103-91, ending their NBA record 28-game losing streak. For NPR News, I'm Jay Scott Smith at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. Going into the arena that night, the amount of love that was shown to that dude, the buzz that was in that building, because that's at a time when the 76ers, as you recall, were in the midst of the process. They were really bad. And the Lakers were really bad. They hadn't hit their process as of yet. The Sixers had lost 28 straight games. Like just something outlandish like that. But that place was sold out and you'd have thought it was the NBA Finals. And I posted it on my Instagram, at Smith. I reposted the video I quickly shot that night from inside of the Wells Fargo Center where I just was kind of taking everything in and they were showing this really cool video for Kobe up on the big board. And just by chance, I pan my camera down because I hear something to my left and wouldn't you know who won the pony? There's Kobe Bryant standing right there. It was was such a surreal night, but in such a good way. And after the game, we had the whole press scrum and I got to talk to Kobe and it's just like, it was a lot, man. But even before that, I was a fan of his game. I loved his game. And it's funny that now so many people suddenly want to say, yeah, he was a whole lot like Michael Jordan. There were people who would see the side-by-side comparisons, the videos, the mannerisms, and deny that he was anything like Jordan. It's funny how much now people want to recognize how legitimately great of a, of a scorer he was, how great of a player he was. Because in so much of this hot, takey, sports radio bullshit time that we live in, everybody wants to find a way to demean someone's greatness, to downgrade someone's greatness, to say they weren't really that good. I still remember the night Kobe scored 81 points, and the day after, people were legitimately saying with a straight face, well, he only had two assists. Wasn't that great? What's the big deal? It's only 81. Anybody could have done it. Nobody has come with an earshot of 81 cents. Kobe Bryant, the man. Well, let's just address the elephant in the room. When Kobe came out of high school, he was young. He was, he was, he was full of swagger. He was this otherworldly individual His dad played in the NBA with the 76ers and the kid lived overseas and he had, he spoke multiple languages and then he comes back to the city and becomes this megastar. He's taking Brandy to the prom. He goes to the NBA. He's drafted by the Charlotte Hornets and the Jerry West finagles him out of there for Vlade Divac into the Lakers. He sits on the bench for two years by 1999, 2000. He started to show what kind of an iconic player he would eventually become. 
We get to 2003, and this has been the thing that people have had all sorts of consternation over in talking about him. I will say this. Knowing everything that we know about what went down there, it is absolutely asinine to say what Kobe Bryant did was just a simple mistake. What happened in Colorado was not a mistake. He made a decision, a very bad decision, and very likely took advantage of a woman in some form or fashion in that hotel room in Colorado. Anybody who tries to dismiss it as just some indiscretion when he was young and, oh, he made a mistake, especially when a lot of these same people were using what happened in Colorado as the ammunition to downgrade each and everything he did on the floor for the rest of his career. Let's not go there. What he did was absolutely, it was was heinous. Let's cut the bullshit, it was. Anybody who's read about what Kobe's lawyers did to that girl, anybody who's read about what happened, we all know that he, he sold out Shaq, the whole thing. I cannot sit here in good conscience and act like that's something that to be that's to be glossed over. That's not something you just bypass. You tell the whole story about Kobe Bryant. I'm the same guy who sat here since the day this podcast started beating the drum against guys like R. Kelly and Bill Cosby. Going after guys like Harvey Weinstein, talking about Woody Allen and everybody else. So I'm no hypocrite. Going out, hell, I've gone after Michael Jackson. I'm no hypocrite. The only difference between those guys and Kobe Bryant is Kobe actually ended up going to court. Now, the case was eventually dropped for some pretty suspicious reasons, and he ends up settling out of court with her. He then embarks on this second act of his NBA career. Now he's he's gone from the misunderstood heel where people didn't like him because he was just simply good and he wasn't the stereotype to now he's full-blown heel and he's embraced it. Do I know this guy? I don't know this guy. I might have said one word to this guy. I don't know this kid. And I think he, uh, he overreacts to stuff. I mean, I don't know him. I don't think about him. You know, we go out there, we play. When we play during the season, we play each other. That's it. I don't know this kid. I don't need to know this kid. I don't want to. You know, we go out there and we play the game and leave it at that. Maybe he wasn't hugged enough as a kid. The Lakers fall apart after losing in the 2004 finals. Detroit 4, LA 1. And he becomes his heel. And everybody wanted to see him fail. And the Lakers were not a good team for a few years. And then the second act begins and Kobe becomes this black Mamba and he has the 81 point game and the, and the slew of 60 point games and he scores a ton and you have these dummies talking about why doesn't he pass the ball more? Why doesn't he pass the ball more? Who the hell was he passing it to? You go back and look at some of those Laker teams from like 2005, 2006, when he almost single-handedly got them through the Phoenix Suns. 2007. Go back and look at some of those Laker teams and tell me why he, sh- why he, a shooting guard, should be passing the ball more. Who's going to pass to? But they have that second act, and the Lakers get to the finals in 2008. Should have been against Detroit, ends up being against Boston. They get back there again in, in 09 against Orlando and win it. They go back in 2010, and he gets it again. 
He ends up with five championships. His legacy basically completely fortified. We see the kind of man he had become because, again, the other byproduct of whatever the hell went on in Colorado in 2003. He also cheated on his wife. He was not the ideal father initially. He sure as hell was not the ideal husband. He was not the ideal man. And Kobe Bryant is not somebody who, if you look at the totality of his life, was not somebody who came out of this squeaky clean. You see the word complicated used about him a lot and thrown around about him. And complicated is is both an apt word and also it undersells it because there's a lot more to to everything that we know about somebody's story. Kobe is the rare instance where someone in the public eye effectively committed an act like that, actually ended up going to court, ended up paying the price. It's not like he got off scot-free and everybody forgot about it. He lost a bunch of endorsements. His whole squeaky clean image got absolutely blown up real good. He damn near lost his wife before he could even really start that family. Everybody turned on him. So he he was not exactly like R. Kelly, just bouncing around here for years and people backing him up. And also he, as messed up as this is to say, it only happened once. Think about where we are as a society where just saying that phrase, it only happened once, is considered a good thing. Jeez. But when you look at the totality of his life, you look at 2003 and the subsequent trial that went into 04, and he spent 05 and 06 basically being a, a pariah in the NBA. And then the turnaround happened. We get 15 years out. He's been retired two or three years. He's started companies, production companies. He's had all sorts of philanthropic organizations either that he's worked with or he started on his own. He started the Mamba Sports Academies. He won an Academy Award for fuck's sake. He did everything you possibly could have dreamed as a third act, essentially. He was set to go to the Basketball Hall of Fame this year, and he started taking a greater interest in women's sports because of Gianna and became this advocate for women's sports, even when people basically dismissed it as just another craven PR ploy or as a way to try to get people off his back for 2003. When they talk about complex individuals, when they talk about people who are complicated, Kobe Bryant is one of those men. I can remember him as an exceptional NBA player. I can remember him as a really, really damn dedicated father. But I also can remember him as a dude who nearly threw the whole damn thing away because he decided to be a scumbag for one night in 2003. That he willfully risked his own safety. He willfully, very likely, took advantage of a young woman and put her life in danger and Lord knows what kind of how she feels this week, for example, because no lawsuit settlement's going to make that go away no matter what. 
He risked his family's whole existence, his wife, his eventual kids, everything, because he wanted to be a scumbag for one night. I can say both of those things because both of those things are oddly true. He went on to become uh, damn near completely different from from the man he was that night in Colorado. And no, you're not going to forget it. You can't forget it. That's that's a huge chapter in somebody's life. But I'm also not going to completely discount what he did in all those years afterwards either. It's not the same as R. Kelly, who's been a who's been a fucking scumbag his whole life. It's not the same as Bill Cosby, who was a fucking scumbag for 50 years. And used his influence to get away with it again and again and again and again and again. He did something that you generally tend to demand of people when they do wrong. That they do right. That they fight back. That they do everything possible to pay their debt. And I get why some people won't let it go. It's been 15 years. Hell, 17 years. Some people won't let it go. And I get it. But just like I'm not going to sit here and harp on that as if it's the only thing we should remember about him his whole life, I'm also not going to dismiss it either and act like it was just some childish indiscretion, some sort of mistake, like he like he shoplifted as a 14-year-old or something. Completely different circumstances. This has been a very trying, a very odd, strange week. Hell, it's been a trying and odd and strange month. And while I can remember Kobe Bryant as an incredible player, yet will not forget the other things he did, my heart breaks for Vanessa Bryant. My heart breaks for the Altabelli family and the Mauser family because they lost people too. And I told you, it was tough when I heard that Gianna died in that crash too. Because go watch any video of her on the floor. She had it, man. That little girl had it. She played just like her dad, had the mannerisms just like Kobe. She had the fire. She had the swagger. And she had the jumper. That girl was going to be a problem. Her whole life was in front of her dog. And it got cut off. Not by any fault of her own. Just 13 years old, she got on that helicopter ready to go play a basketball game and lost her life, man. And that that's what that's what f-ed me up more than anything else was that that's what made it tough. Kobe Bryant, this man, the superstar. It's so odd to say that he's gone. I still don't really believe it myself. I'm still waiting to find out that somehow he got out of there. He and Gianna survived it. And they're going to come stumbling out of those mountains in Calabasas all of a sudden out of nowhere. But I know that's not the case. <laughs> they said it over and over again this week. Take some time. To tell your family you care about them because you never know. They got on a helicopter and didn't come home. As we say at the end of every podcast, take care of yourself. God bless. Always there to be different the whole nine yards. Do that because this month of January has been a bitch. It's been something else from top to bottom. It's been something else. I had to get this off. I had to get something in there to say that it was like I said, it's a stream of consciousness, man. I could go on and on about all his accolades on the floor I could go on and on about the stories I've heard about him when he was a Philly high school basketball player. I could do all that, but I wanted to get out there where my head's been because, hey, this is my podcast and my channel, and I'll 
talk about whatever the fuck I want to talk about. But I wanted to get that out there. I wanted to thank the people who have hit me up because they heard the newscast on Sunday and said I did a good job. And I appreciate that. Because that was that was that was a tough road to hoe while I was in there. But at the same time, I also wanted to get this message off that be thankful for every day you got, regardless of if you're a billionaire or you're struggling to get by. You never know when this could come to an end. Kobe Bryant was a year older than me, dog. 41. That's one of those things when you see that, when they write that name and then they put the two years underneath you, when you see 1978 to 2020 and you think to yourself, holy shit, I was born one year after that guy? Yeah, man. It, it, it messes with you. It really does. So uh, I'm going to wrap this up. I will say, as we get into the month of February, expect episodes 107 and 108 and possibly 109 as the new look and feel, if you will, of J. Scott Confidential really kicks in for 2020. This month has been a meat grinder. And that's why I haven't been able to get these episodes off to you as I originally planned. Plus, some logistical things getting the conversations done, too. But they're all coming. And uh, I want to thank you for your support in 2019. I want to thank you for supporting me in 2020. And as we go forward, we got a lot coming for you. Rest in peace to Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant and John Altabelli and his family. And everybody else, because I can't think of their names off the top of my head, and I don't want to do them a disservice by by saying the wrong thing. Christina Mauser, who's the coach who was on there. Rest in peace to all them. And uh, thank you so much once again. Take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. And uh, the next time you hear from me, the mood will be changed because we'll be talking about episode 107. Shout out to my man, Doc Illingsworth. Big up to my man, Awesome Jones. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at J Scott Smith, J A Y S C O two T's S M I T H. Follow the show at JSC radio. It's at JSC radio on Facebook at JSC radio on Instagram. And, uh, be on the lookout for more new stuff very soon, but thank you once again. And, uh, one Oh seven will be coming to you soon. Goodbye, everybody. I grew up, I grew up a diehard. I mean, a diehard Laker fan. Die hard. I mean, I knew knew everything about every player that's ever played here. So to be drafted and then traded to this organization and to spend 20 years here, I mean, you can't you can't write something better than this. You're listening to the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. And uh, what can I say? Mamba out. (laughs) The mic has been dropped. I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore. So she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. 
He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.